episode 34 of the Bearded Carcast. The winds, they are a-changing with the Hurricane Florence getting ready to, to bear down on the Carolinas. We're taping this on Thursday, middle of the day, Thursday, so still safe and sound. And, of course, hopefully uh, that remains for everybody. I know the storm's just starting to hit the North Carolina coast, and it is one of those things you have to take seriously, uh, but there sometimes is, you know, weather humor when you get around big storms like this. And when we talk later about our picks for the week, last yeah. week was very, very fruitful. Yes. I said, on the record, give me one team, Baltimore. That's 1-0. I mentioned three other teams, all winners, Minnesota, Denver, and Philadelphia. So a 4-0 week for the Bearded Carcast. As we move forward in this podcast, weather can impact yeah. sports. And I think we've seen a bunch of cancellations of right. games here locally. I think the Charlotte 49ers have moved their football game up. I think they're, yeah, playing, they're playing this, this afternoon. afternoon. And Boston College, is they moved their game to 530 with Wake For at Wake Forest. Right, and, and now that sports gambling is legal, we can talk about the things we've been talking about <laughs> off-air yeah. uh, much more freely, and that is that weather tends to help the underdog because the less predictable the elements the more crazy things that can happen, and that generally helps the team that is not expected to win or play well. I think we may have seen a little bit of that in the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game yeah. on Saturday. Bad weather throughout. Both quarterbacks, Ben Roethlisberger and Tyrod Taylor, were bothered by it, and just kind of a weird, ugly, mucked-up sort of game where you see the underdog not win in this instance, mm -hmm. but cover the spread if you see weather when you're getting ready to gamble on a game generally rain and snow are not as impactful as wind wind oh, yeah. is the number sure. one killer it's very very bad for the passing games you'll see over and under totals go way down the professional betters are looking for that wind if wind is a major factor there's going to be less points scored in the game so you're giving some inside information that the sharps i don't know if it's inside i think most people know no, most it, people but realize, yeah. i don't know if the bearded car cast listener yeah. thinks about that sort of thing, and you have to consider it. I mean, th there's an interesting game on the line this week. Green Bay and Minnesota yep. is that game. Right now, the price is, and Aaron Rodgers is healthy and playing in the game. Right. Well, if Aaron Rodgers plays but is not healthy, there's going to be a little bit of value on Minnesota. And if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play in the game right at this very second, there's a ton of value on Minnesota. So if you know a week in advance, hey, it's going to be really windy, and I know the forecast doesn't say that yet, but I can kind of see what's coming, you can bet there are going to be fewer points scored in the game. How much does history play in? And what I mean by that is I think it's always interesting – from a media standpoint, when you talk about, you know, the Packers lead the all-time series, it's not by much, 59-52 to 2. Vikings, though, have won the last two. How much do you – those games the last year, they don't necessarily mean anything this year. It's a completely different animal. So is that sometimes fool's gold if people, uh, when they're when they're looking to put some money on a game, if they look at track record? Or it depends. Is it How similar are the teams to what they were last year. In yeah. the instance of the Vikings and the Packers... Well, Aaron Rodgers didn't play in the game the second game. Well, then that would be yeah. that would be very significant. It's the same coaching staffs and generally the same rosters, but instead of having Case Keenum at the helm, yeah. now you have 
Kirk Cousins. Yeah. So both teams have different starting quarterbacks. And if you really want to analyze it, you need to get down to the starting offensive linemen. I, I think the Chargers are just drastically overvalued right now. Mm. They made a big bump between two years ago and last year. And now people are expecting them to take another leap. The problem is... What happened two years ago, and quite frankly, three and four years ago, was the Chargers were among the most injured teams in the league, particularly in the trenches. Last year, they had great health on the offensive line, and not shockingly, they became a much better football team. But why would you expect now, with a similar roster and a similarly healthy offensive line, for them to take another leap? That doesn't make a great deal of sense. Although, when you look at this week, they're playing a Buffalo Bills team that that uh, gave up a lot of points. And you look at uh, Philip Rivers had over 400 yards passing against a pretty good Kansas City team last week. Well, his team got behind and he had to throw a million times in the game. Buffalo, I mean, Baltimore was my pick last week, right? And Nathan Peterman... I think that was your lock. That was my lock. Nathan Peterman is not an NFL quarterback. And quite frankly, he might not be an SEC or an ACC quarterback. He's got no business being in the league. Well, Buffalo, he, should, he should go back to work for the Peterman Catalog. Yeah, exactly. Buffalo's starting a different quarterback this yeah. week, and we don't know if Josh Allen's going to be good or not. He was better than Peterman last week, but they're playing at home. They're catching over a touchdown. They're playing a Chargers team that probably is a little bit overvalued. It's the West Coast team flying east to play that 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. game. I like Buffalo this week. Now, it's hard to go to the window and put down your money on maybe the worst team in the league with a lot of question marks, but it's a great home field advantage. Mm -hmm. It's an overrated Chargers team. It's a Bills squad that, quite frankly, can't look worse. They're coming off just the worst performance in the entire league last week. So yeah, they stink, but they're not that bad. At the beginning of the year, An analytics guy who really, really knows this stuff felt that the top to the bottom of the NFL was only 11 and a half points on a neutral site. Okay. So that means if the Patriots are the best team in the league, or if you think the Rams are the best team in the league, and they're playing at home, you get three extra points. No team in the league should be more than a 14 and a half point favored under any circumstances. Well, we're talking about Buffalo. Let's say they are at the bottom of the league and the Chargers who are, you know, somewhere between, uh, I don't know, six and 12, maybe, you know, maybe the spread in that game in LA. And remember the Chargers don't really have an actual home field advantage, but, but maybe in a true home field advantage, it should be a, six-point spread plus the three for home, maybe it's nine. But if it's nine in L.A., now you're dropping six points off to be in Buffalo. I think Buffalo should be catching three, three-and-a-half to get more than a touchdown, to be a seven-and-a-half-point yeah. dog. I, I think there's there's significant value. That's not my lock of the no, week. No, we'll get to but that it, later. But, yeah. but it is one of those secondary picks. And right. again, we're just going to track one game a week. Last week, Baltimore, and we'll get to this week's pick at the end of the podcast. But I do have several others that I think are worthwhile, including tonight's game. 
Yeah, tonight's game is going to be very interesting with Baltimore and Cincinnati. That's not your your. It's not my okay, lock okay. of the week. So we can but, talk about it. But I like the Bengals mm-hmm. because I think what you want to do, particularly in week two, everyone loves to overreact. Mm-hmm. What did you see in week one? Oh, the Steelers didn't look good. Right. Oh, the Ravens look great. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't the Jimmy Garoppolo that we thought he would be. Did you did you think he was going to go like 200 and no, 0 in his NFL? No, I don't NFL think anybody did. Career? Well, Baltimore looked really good against bad competition. And now they're playing a much better team, Cincinnati, who isn't earth-shattering, but is solid. They typically play very well against the Ravens. They're playing in Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. so it's the Bengals' home opener. It's Baltimore traveling on a short week for a Thursday night game. And though it hasn't been the case necessarily the last year or two, Marvin Lewis's teams tend to cover at home. They have a terrific record at home. Maybe later in the year, the fans tune out, the team is bad, but they're going to be hyped up and ready to go today. And I like the Bengals a little bit tonight. Yeah, Andy Dalton, good numbers. He was 21 out of 28, um, 75% completion rate, which is pretty good. You know, we talk about that here in Carolina a lot. 243 yards, had a couple of touchdowns, one interception. Joe Mixon, almost 100-yard rushing, 95 yards rushing. It's interesting. We didn't see a lot of 100-yard rushing performances. I mean, that's starting to become... What guys don't get carries anymore? There were only five guys in the NFL that had 20 or more carries in week one, and one of them was a backup, Connor in Pittsburgh. And he had like 30 carries. There aren't that many workhorse three-down backs anymore. The game has changed. I had a very interesting conversation. I'd be very curious to see how you'd weigh in on this. I was talking to a friend yesterday about Saquon Barkley. Yeah, he had 100 yards and 18 carries. Had a terrific first game. But I think half of those yards came on one carry, which you have to give him credit for. That's great. The running back position, for years and years and years, you wanted that bell cow running back. It was such an important position on the field. Then we had that phased-out span where people were like, running back's not that important. You are more a product of how good your offensive line is. It's a passing league. Spend more money on the offensive line. Spend more money on the quarterback. You can rotate two or three backs in. And now we've gone the other way with a Todd Gurley drafted early being great. Leonard Fournette off to a good start in his career. Ezekiel Elliott Mm -hmm. is a bell cow guy. The contract dispute with Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh. And that gets us to Saquon Barkley, who was really good in his debut. But I still don't think you can spend a top 10 pick on a running back. I just don't think the position is that important. Running back, though, the position is still important. It's just it's been redistributed as far as who's going to get the carries. You know, like with the Carolina Panthers, they still want to rush for 100-plus yards a game. Now they're able to have a running back that can get you 50, 60 yards. In fact, he's had seven straight games where he's had 50-plus yards rushing. I, I, I think what's brought that back in vogue, though, are the guys you just mentioned because they are the sexy running backs that if you do give them enough carries, they can get you 100 yards rushing I just like the idea of you've got a salary cap, which means everyone is spending the same amount of money. If you can get three okay backs. But I think the difference is, Dave, is is I think it's becoming even more narrow-focused fo- in that they, they want the running game, of course, but they want those backs to be ready when they get into the playoffs. So that's why I think that's why they're still paying the premium. It's almost like, I don't want to say paying for a reliever, but 
it's almost like you know that you're not going to get maybe the value front-loaded for part of the year, but you're counting on those guys being healthy and being productive in the playoffs because the game does change a little bit in the I'm playoffs. I'm just looking at the teams that were in the Super Bowl last year, and one team had LeGarrette Blunt and Jay Ajayi, two you know, pretty good, right. okay sort of backs. But they're kind of tandem. Yeah, tandem backs. And the Patriots, you know, they kind of get guys off the scrap heap and put it all together, and they'll draft a guy here, and they'll take a veteran chance, and they'll get someone that somebody released, and that's been the formula. Who is the great team recently that has won a Super Bowl with the pounding, battering three-down back? It's a good question. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. know. I could, off the top of my head, I can't. Like, I like a team like the Rams who have that great back and then also have three capable receivers and a good passing game. If you can have balance, that's phenomenal. But the reason the Rams can have that is their quarterback is on a rookie deal and their running back is on a rookie right. deal. If you're a team that has a veteran quarterback like Cam Newton where are you going to find the money to do that? So right now they have Christian McCaffrey. He's on a rookie deal. But at some point, you're paying Cam Newton. You're paying Christian McCaffrey. Well, that money is taxing the rest of your team. But I think in the case of Christian McCaffrey, the the, the design there is that he's still going to be a guy that they want to get the ball to 20-plus times. Now, it's not all going to be at Until the running back. Until he's off of his rookie job, that's great. Right. Rookies are the most valuable thing in the league because right. they don't make that much money. But if you're Pittsburgh right now and you're looking at Le'Veon Bell maybe signing and maybe not signing and almost surely not being around next year, you just can't justify paying Roethlisberger and Bell that much money and then having so much less for everywhere else on the field. I mean, what team has the great quarterback, the great running back, and neither of them are on inexpensive rookie deals? I mean, the best running backs in the NFL are Saquon Barkley, maybe. He's on a rookie deal. You've got the Pittsburgh situation where Bell is holding out and they weren't very good in week one. You've got Gurley on a rookie deal. You've got the situation in Arizona where you've got David Johnson making a lot of money, but they don't have a high-priced quarterback. You've got Leonard Fournette. He's on a rookie deal. There just aren't teams that have veteran expensive quarterback, veteran expensive running back, and making money. The best quarterbacks in the game are Tom Brady. They don't have an expensive running back. Aaron Rodgers, they don't have an expensive running back. It, Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara, Kamara's a rookie. It, it's almost impossible to afford both of right. those, and you'd be a moron to spend the money on a running back and not on the quarterback. All right, so to answer our question, uh, the most recent Super Bowl winner with a 100-yard rusher was Indianapolis, Dominic Rhodes, in 2007. Not an expensive guy. No. And then uh, the last 100-yard rusher in a Super Bowl, Marshawn Lynch, and, of course, that was the, the famed... Uh, the Patriots uh, interception. It came in a Butler. loss. Yeah, it came in a loss, loss. but they should have won that game. They probably should have won that game, but Russell Wilson was on his rookie contract. Yeah. So, again, we're not seeing a lot of instances where teams have expensive running backs and expensive quarterbacks. But I think where it – I think this is the difference between analytics and what you see and what you feel and what you believe because I think a lot of coaches still believe you got to have a running game and I think the mentality is still you need to have that, uh, you know, that I mean, premier back. Maybe that's the answer on Saquon Barkley. You use a draft pick early on. Especially what we know about Dave Gettleman, who really believes in having a strong running game. Well, and 
by the time he's getting paid, right. Eli Manning's going to be gone. So maybe he is your bell cow guy, and at that point, you draft a young, right. inexpensive quarterback, so you have one and not the other. I'm just not sure I believe that's a winning formula. What you just looked up about recent yeah. Super Bowls indicates that's not. Because other than Nick Foles, well, and the decaying carcass of Peyton Manning, you're seeing most teams that win the Super Bowl have good quarterbacks. Doesn't take a genius mm. to come up with that. I think the Giants would have been better off drafting a quarterback and going forward with, maybe you have Eli Manning for one more year, but then you have Josh Rosen or whoever it is you decide, Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. and, and you understand what you have going forward. But then again, on this very podcast, I'm the one that said the Browns should have drafted two quarterbacks. That's right. I think that position is so vitally important. If you don't have that guy, you know, yes, the Eagles won the Super Bowl with a backup, and they beat a Vikings team playing a backup in the NFC Championship game. But that being said, the Nick Foles that I think most of us believe is really out there, we saw in week one when they sort of, kind of got lucky, barely beat a okay, maybe not great Atlanta team at home. You have Carson Wentz, that game might be secured a lot earlier. Episode 34, Bearded Carcast, Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman. Join us on Twitter at Bearded Carcast, Instagram, same handle, and you can email the show, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com. Send us your picks. Send us your picks. That's a good idea. We should also uh, keep track. I didn't have time to do it this week. Next week, I'm going to try and do this. But I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do is. I think a good counter to your very precise and analytical picks. I think I'm going to come up with some sort of random draw. Well, may- maybe like, like uh, I don't know if it's a coin maybe flipper. Karma can pick. Well, I was thinking that maybe Karma or our cat Chi Chi. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe I should have John do this. You should get some John picks. I should do some John picks. So we're does gonna John do some... understand the point spread? No, we haven't really described but that then to him. You, I, I, first of all, bad parenting. But, <laughs> but <laughs> well, some would argue that's good parenting. No, no shot. <laughs> but but secondly, you could just simply phrase it as what do you think the score of the game will right. be? And then we can discern yeah. where that fits yeah. within the spread. Maybe we need to have Uncle Dave over for a conversation. There's no question. <laughs> There's no question. Hey, John, we're going to send you over with Dave and Nicole so you can learn about the point spread. Absolutely. We'll pick them up at five. Uh, it, it might be a two-part <laughs> lesson, Mike. Uh, it, it's not quite that simple. Uh, interesting comments from Doug Marone, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, about uh, the Super Bowl and the fact that he does not watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I don't get it. Like, that's like, I, I think I've told this story before about our good friend Carter Blackburn yeah. from CBS. Carter broadcasts college football and college basketball all season long. His wife, Karen, is in the wine business. Right. So she gets some great travel perks, including annual trips to Italy. Yeah. So one year, they plan their trip to Italy for early April. That's when it worked for oh, her yeah, work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's telling all his friends this, and they're like, 
Oh, my God. How good is your life? Yeah. You broadcast sports for a living, and then you get a free trip or a mostly yeah, free trip right. to Italy. That That is amazing. Now, this came at a, a difficult time, though, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he called me, and we're talking. I mean, a difficult sports time. Not yeah, a, yeah. It came during the Final Four. Yeah. And, in fact, they were flying the Sunday in between the national semifinal and national championship game. And I'm like, how can you work in the industry, know all these people, and then not watch the championship game. That's outrageous. Yeah. And I really gave him kind of a hard time, but I, I, I was very sincere about it. I mean, when I buy my calendar, and I need to buy a, a 2019 calendar right now, and I want you to know, I always buy it at the dollar store. Yes. I buy a dollar calendar. That That's my budget for a calendar each year. And uh, I, I start marking down. The first thing I mark down in the calendar is the first Saturday in May, Kentucky Derby Kentucky Day. Derby, right. And then I write down, you know, the Final Four and all the events I don't want to miss. Obviously, you write down the important birthdays and anniversaries and that sort of thing, holidays that, that you want to mark off before you start making plans for the year. But, but the national championship game, what if you missed the Villanova-Georgetown game? What if you missed the Butler-Duke game, one of these legendary games we're going to talk about forever and ever and ever? So I gave Carter a really hard time, and he got to Italy, and the first night that they were there, I guess, um, was the first night they were there, the championship game, or maybe it was the second night, whatever, he, he stayed up, and he watched, and it was like one of the worst games in modern basketball yeah. history. It was the second Butler National Championship game. They were horrible. I think they played, uh, I think it was one of the Calipari teams, but I could be wrong about that. And they were terrible. It was just a bad game. And the next day, his wife woke up early and had a cup of coffee, and he was just a lethargic mess of a <laughs> human being all day and kind yeah. of ruined half a day in Italy, and he yeah. sent me an angry email about it. But I, I just I just don't think you can you can miss like yeah. you're Doug Marone. You've devoted your life to playing and coaching football. And now you don't watch the the end. I, I don't get it. Well, to me, what's interesting about it and I, and I can understand, I guess, if you're not in it and you're out of it, you want to get unplugged and you don't want to see it. So we I all need vacation. The next week would work out really well. Well, but here, I guess where I would agree with you is it, it seems to me, especially this past Super Bowl, uh, the different types of plays and niche things, and not so much at, for a scouting purpose, but maybe maybe there's a, something that you see that maybe you want to put in on your team. 100% every game you watch is a learning opportunity. How many times have you and I had uh, broken bread with some coaches and assistant coaches and we're, you know, we're at a restaurant watching a game and all of a sudden out comes the napkin and they're like How many times have you and I plays? been driving to or from a game, listening to a game on the radio and hear a phrase or a description oh, yeah, right. and go Boy, that would be a good thing yeah. for us to use right, in right, the broadcast. Right. I mean, the more you watch, I mean, they say that the best way to help your vocabulary is to read, right? right? I mean, the best way to learn football or learn basketball is to watch games and write down notes. I mean, if you ignored Rick Majerus because he never won a national championship, you, you missed like yeah. a, a savant of basketball X's and O's, things that could help you in your coaching. I, I just, it, it's so short-sighted not to watch the Super Bowl, not from an entertainment value, just like you're in it and now you don't have an interest in it. I, I, I don't buy that. I, I just, I, I don't like Doug Marone to start with. 
I thought he did a mediocre job at Syracuse and got a lot of credit. Yeah. He fleed as soon as possible to the Bills. He completely screwed up that situation. I kind of like the Jaguars, yeah. and I like Tom Coughlin, but I, I, I don't think Doug Marone is one of the great thinkers in sports history. Well, and there's that kind of the macho piece, like, well, because I think roughly paraphrasing his comment, it's like, well, if I'm not in it, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed off, and I don't want to. And, and I think get over yourself. That's an emotional reaction, whereas I think you need to take the intellectual piece to this. Now, I'm okay that he doesn't go to the Super Bowl site. Like, Absolutely, you know. But but to not watch the game, I think that's a little bit. Even if you decide I'm not ready after the last month to watch the game yeah. now, I'm going to tape it and watch later. You get the same value from it. Maybe right. you get more value watching it right before your season begins or something, but not to watch at all. Look at what Andy Reid did last week with Kansas City. You want to talk about a great coach. He's running more college stuff yeah. than pro stuff. Like Andy Reid's offense 10 years ago, when, by the way, he was winning a lot of games in Philadelphia, is very, very different than Andy Reid's right. offense today. He's an old fart who's evolved, yeah. who's watched, who's put in new concepts. I believe very firmly, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but Tyreek Hill is a really unique player, right? Yeah. I think there are a lot of coaches that wouldn't know how to use him, and he would be kind of a, you know, use him every now and again and kind of like a niche piece to an offense, whereas Andy Reid has found a way to make him the focal point of an offense, and he's almost impossible to defend. One of the best uh, quotes I ever got from um, Coach K, and I was talking to him at one of the ACC basketball media days here that they have. This was probably four or five years ago, and I asked him, you know, when he's when he's going out recruiting, does he go and kind of recruit players that he thinks would fit well with him, or does he try and just get the best players available and then he figures out how to coach them up? And he said to me, "No, I go out and get the best talent, and then I figure out, and then it's my job to figure out how to put them in the in the best position. So it's about getting the talent and then kind of changing what you do to fit them to some extent. I mean, this is still why I've always thought Ben Howland is a great basketball coach, and I, I know Ben kind of his star has soured a little bit. Things didn't go great at UCLA. Now he's at one of those Mississippi State, uh, one of those SEC schools that doesn't really care about basketball. But his career was Northern Arizona led the country in offense. Pittsburgh led the country in defense. He evolved. He changed what he did yeah. to suit his talent and his program, then went to UCLA. And I understand that, like, the perception is he didn't do a good job. Bill Walton got him fired, or at least in part, like, just was constantly killing him on TV. Ben Holland went to two Final Fours mm. with UCLA. I, the guy can coach. Pittsburgh's program went from Howland to Jamie Dixon, who's a terrific mm -hmm. coach. Dixon leaves. They're a train wreck. They they should have brought Howland back after Jamie Dixon decided to go to TCU. I mean, it, it's the best of the best coaches, the way they operate, the way they see it. It's not system-oriented. It's player-oriented. Right. Well, there are some, you know, I know there's some cancellations this week in college football. So uh, I know locally, you know, North Carolina was affected, Virginia Tech, ECU. Uh, but there's still some pretty good games um, in th three of the kind of the marquee games this weekend. Number 12, LSU at number 7, Auburn. 17th ranked Boise State at number 24, Oklahoma State. And number 4, Ohio State against number 15, TCU. What, uh, what are some of the things you're looking for in these games? Well, 
Auburn, it seems to me, is battle tested after that game against Washington. Yep. And they're now at home playing an LSU team who it's almost impossible to trust their coaching staff. And yes, a very nice win against Miami in the opener. Both of these teams beat Little Sisters of the Poor yeah. last week. But if you didn't like and you questioned LSU coming into the year, I see no reason not to still question yeah. LSU. Auburn playing at home and Auburn having played the better opponent in Washington, uh, I, I think the Tigers are, well, the Auburn Tigers are yeah. significantly better than the LSU Tigers. But we'll see. The game I think that's most interesting is Boise State and Oklahoma State because Boise State this year, whether you recognize it or not, they're Central Florida from last right, year. Right. I mean, they are the team that at the end we're going to debate should they be in the playoffs. And they have to win this week at Oklahoma State in order to be in the playoff. If they lose, they're done. They're but if they win, there is a very strong chance that they're running the table right. the rest of the way. And, oh, by the way, these might be the two best offenses in mm -hmm. the country. I think they both went for seven or 800 yards of offense last year. Boise State has made a habit of winning these games against top-level competition, against the the Big 12 right. type teams. I think they're two and one in the last three games against the Big 12. Boise State's always prepared for these games. Mike Gundy's a really good coach at Oklahoma State. I, I just think this could be for entertainment purposes. You've got the Cinderella to cheer for. Yeah. You've got the great environment. You've got two high-powered offenses. I wonder if the difference isn't versatility. While Oklahoma State is going to throw the ball 65 times, and they're going to complete a zillion passes and score a lot of points, I wonder if Boise State knows the pass is coming and can defend them a little bit better than Boise, who can both throw and run the ball a little bit. They're a little more balanced. Not really balanced, but a little bit more balanced. Obviously, I'm going to be cheering for Boise State, because if they win, we can go ahead and, and start that argument about whether they should be in the, the, the playoff. And, and that's fun. I think that makes college football fun when it's not just the Blue Bloods. How much does this help, though? Because as far as with when you, if you t mention like Central Florida and Boise State, in Central Florida, I think their fans felt like they got a little bit overlooked and felt like they should have had a chance to, to, to be in the playoffs. But to me, Boise State, the difference between those two, Dave, if, if everything were equal and they had the same type of seasons – Boise State just has more brand identity. They're the winningest yeah. program in college football over like a 10-year period. They're like the Gonzaga they uh, are. On, the, on the football side. Yeah, that's exactly right, except Gonzaga two years ago went to the Final Four, and Boise State never gets invited right. to the playoff. Now, they won the Orange Bowl a few years ago. I think they won yeah. the Fiesta Bowl a few right. years ago. So, like, they're a terrific program, but... We have to open the door to that school right. in the playoff. Otherwise, it's just not legitimate. Right. Central Florida deserved a chance to play last yep. year. Now, if they lost by 65 points, that that's fine. And however you want to do it is fine. If you want to go six-team playoff, five major conferences get in. And a wild plus, card. Plus one lower-tiered team, fine. If you want to go eight, five major conference champions, one secondary team, two wild cards, yeah. that's fine, too. But until it's inclusive, it's a joke. Yeah. Now, it's better than the previous joke right, where right. we 
selected right. two Because they could still go to a really good bowl game. They just Absolutely. Right. But if you're going to have a true tournament, if you're, you, you have to give Gonzaga right. a chance. Right. Villanova never wins the national championship if they don't get that chance to play Georgetown right. again. Right. I mean, you just it, it can't be these four teams because right. you might miss out on the best team. Right. And that's why I think they need to open it up to eight because you can have the Power Five conferences represented and then you can have a couple more Power Fives in there or you could go with teams that right. the come, out of the, come out of the woodwork. Against that. I agree with you. I think you go five plus one smaller school, two wild cards. The argument against that, and it's a good one, is you make the conference season unimportant. You can have two or even three teams from a conference go, so one conference loss isn't that big a deal. By going six teams, you have five conference champions. Conferences can determine however they want how that team gets in there, but now you make the conference season very important. Again, the problem with that, obviously, is if the SEC is loaded, they still only get one of those six spots. How do you determine who gets a bye? You'd have to do Two teams get a buy, right? Yeah, I mean, however you want to determine yeah. it, do a poll or do some sort of. Because uh, uh, that, because under that scenario, you could make the argument, depending on what the formula is, is that the conference play is even more important because you might say point differential and conference games or yeah. You know, some, I mean, it's got to be some analytic yeah. formula, yeah. And, and but also it would be great if two teams got a bye and those first two games were played at campus sites. Yeah. So two teams get a bye, that's huge, but teams ranked three and four now are playing tournament games, yeah. playing bracketed games, playing right. games in order to get to this final four at home. So now one, two matter, three, four yeah. matter, five, six matter. This is the Bearded Car Cast. It's episode 34. I'm Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman alongside. Quick time out here. Uh, I want to get to the, the, the Serena issue. Uh, Are we blowing off Ohio State and TCU? Well, but you didn't get to it in time. Yeah, I, 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 I ran out of time. I love Gary Patterson. I, I think that TCU program has been underrated for a long time. Yeah. Ohio State has more talent. Yeah, and uh, Ryan Day, former BC assistant coach, is the uh, head coach interim. And very likely going to be coaching a BCS team in the very, very near future. Sorry to short that game, but we got we to move along here. So we have uh, Serena coming up. Also get, get to our picks. Uh, I got a um, – what's this again? The Swiss? Swiss Gourmet. I got a Swiss Gourmet apple I got to uh, to get through, and then um, we'll take a look at the email. So that's all ahead, Bearded Carcast. Join us at Bearded Carcast on Twitter, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Bearded Carcast, episode number 34. We also have the uh, Winthrop schedule uh, we want to talk about a little well, bit. Well, we, we have, we have the, the conference schedule. The conference the schedule, conference schedule is yeah. out, and with all due respect to the greater Farmville community, I am very excited that we won't be going there. I'm, it's just a long way away. Yeah. I'm Mike Pacheco. That's Dave Freeman. This is the Bearded Carcast, as we mentioned, at Bearded Carcast on Twitter. Email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. That was probably the best uh, news that we heard, uh, and just that's a long trip. That's a, that's a travel. The Big South Conference now has eleven teams, which yep. means there are buys. They're playing a sixteen-game season, so the two teams you play only at home. There are two teams you play only on the road. Everybody else you play twice. The two big takeaways for me, personally, avoiding the trip to Farmville was good because they're only two bad trips. Hampton, 
and Farmville. So, so one of those teams being a team that you only play once was a good thing. The other thing that really stuck out to me was Winthrop has a bye the last day of the regular season. I think that's a really poor strategic bye. You want to have it in the middle of the year. You want to have it at a time where you can refuel. You want to have it at a time where you can prep for a big game. And now, you know, you're probably playing on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, and then off until the following Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for the conference tournament. I don't think that's a great spot to have a bye at the very end. No, and that's the conference selecting it. That's not a, a team. Right. Just, just for people that might think that the team has – no, it's a, that's how that – I'm just happy that we are able to continue our tradition of going to Charleston. Yeah, Charleston and Asheville. Those were the two I was very much hoping would be on the dock, and we do make both of those trips. Asheville has traditionally been very late in the year. That yeah. opens, the, opens conference the conference season. Yeah, that's going to be a big game. What's that, January 4th, I think? Something like that, 4th or so really early on, we'll only have one uh, one visit in the regular season with Tubby Smith, the new head coach at High Point. So I know a lot of people are anticipating uh, seeing uh, High Point this year and what he's able to do to come come after Scott Cherry. So it'll be that'll be a, a fun contest, and uh, I think that's probably a game High Point fans are disappointed not to see on the schedule because that has kind of become their big rivalry game. I mean, it's an important game for Winthrop fans too. But I think the game has maybe a little bit more meaning for the High Point Panther fans. Yeah, and, and that's how the schedule breaks. And I, I don't think they were pointing at anyone and trying to make someone's schedule better or worse. That's just the way it breaks down. But I, but I think you're right. I think I think High Point considers Winthrop their biggest rival. We've seen good conditions, blackout conditions there at, at the Miller Center time and time again. But, you know, that... We'll, we'll deal with it when we get there. The schedule is almost out. And if you're looking for kind of an aggregated schedule, the D1 docket. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, is I just a, heard about this. Yeah, it's a, it's a great Twitter feed. It's at the D1, the number one docket. And they track every team's schedule in the country. And they have a spreadsheet on there that you can click on. So any game that's been announced by any team that involves your favorite squad, they, they have the, the, metri the matrix and the... The schedule, so you can see all the Winthrop games except for maybe four or five of them. I, you know they're going to Kentucky. You know they're going to Vanderbilt. You know they're going to Davidson, and you can see everything that's been announced on there. So that the website is pretty cool, the, or the, the the Twitter handle. I I just heard about this. So this, this so it's a Google Doc, right? Essentially, and then you can find out uh, not just games that have already been announced, but also. It's interesting that um, they kind of put piece together what other... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they do a really nice job. When someone announces their schedule, they post the link to it. Yeah. So, like, the last one they posted is Maine. Maine is the 286th yeah. out of 353 teams to post their schedule. Yeah. And then in the Google Doc, they'll put in Maine's schedule. And let's say Vermont hasn't announced yeah. their schedule or New Hampshire hasn't. Right. Then they'll fill in those right. dates for those teams. Now, I know they're transitional, but uh, have the Merrimack Warriors put up their... Uh, How about then? Yeah. Your alma mater My alma mater is, is going up. D1, yeah. Now, now is, is that... A, to me, that would be exciting, but is that... W what are your thoughts on that? I was excited at first because I had heard... I think you and I talked about this two or three years ago. I said, hey, have you heard anything about this? Yeah, the, apparently the NEC and... Because somebody... On one of the road trips we were at, somebody had mentioned it to me that they thought that this was going to be a possibility. So I knew, that, and I knew it was part of their ten-year plan that they wanted to do this, and they just last year uh, built a new football, like a multi-purpose stadium. I think it holds about five thousand. So I mean, I I knew they were kind of gearing towards that. My fear is, uh, you know, they're already Division One hockey, um, and quite and I haven't been to the the um, the gym in a long time. Volpe Arena was what it used to be called. I forget what they call it now. Um, 
it would very mu- my fear is that it is very much a situation are they becoming like a presbyterian of the NEC and I'm not insulting presbyterian but there's been some talk about they have a lack of resources lack of resources and I think that they're even talking about jettisoning football or or getting out of um uh, maybe going into that uh pioneer league yeah they're moving down so uh and you know there's been some rumors that maybe they're even discussing about going back to division 2 I-, I fear that does the school have the resources it's a private school it's a small catholic school um, now they had the largest incoming freshman class. Uh, I, I'm ex- I am excited because I, I think it's it's great for the school. Uh, I just hope that um, you know, not having talked to anybody up there and, or knowing any of the specifics, I just hope they have a good financial plan and they're not just doing it because they think it's good to go Division One. Well, I think one positive is their football situation is stable, right? They're not changing divisions for that, are they? Yeah, no, they're they're going to play uh, in the NEC. So that's like uh, what are they playing now? They're playing in the Northeast Ten. And so they're playing. So they're they're going from playing like Stonehills and Bentleys, and they'll play. I think like St. Francis. But is the Sacred scholarship Heart. situation different? I believe so, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'd be. I mean, you'd have to look I'd at the finances really closely yeah. to, to realize, like, if the football is not going to be a huge financial upward cost, then you're just talking about the other sports. I, I think you're right about the building. I mean, for basketball, you you need a facility, not a modern facility, but you need something that can hold enough people. And, right. and, and but ro- I think they needed to go in the direction of like what we saw with Campbell. Yep. You know, doing something like that. And, and you know, I because mean, you and I have been to a lot of a lot of Division One facilities. And, we've, and frankly, we've been to a lot of facilities that shouldn't be considered Division One, but they are. Yep. Maybe we'll go to some of those this year, so too. So maybe, yeah, maybe we'll go. So, uh, but when we go, yeah. we'll do the bearded car cast. Right. Well, so I'm thinking uh, – I, I need to talk to Mike Holland and uh, the scheduling people at Merrimack. I mean, Mer- at uh, Winthrop, because maybe we can get a uh, home and home. I don't know if we get a home and home, but maybe we can get a <laughs> get Merrimack down here and baseball too. I'll talk to Tom Reginas. Absolutely. Now we we didn't do a bearded car cast to New York City this year for the United States Open. It's an event that's right. That I have yeah. attended before. Have you been there to the the Arthur Ashe? Um, I've been by it. Um, actually, and this is you know our. Seventeenth uh, anniversary of nine eleven. When I was in Kannapolis, we would do only um, Monday through Saturday games. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I was on a Christian station, and we did not have Sunday games. And so when we went to Lakewood, New Jersey, uh, I would go stay with my buddy Duke Castiglione. Duke's now in Boston, but he was um, then was a, a sports guy in, at New York One, and later CBS, and then with Fox, and then uh, now he's at the Channel Five, the ABC affiliate in Boston. But one of our trainers um, had never been to uh, one of our actually our strength and conditioning guy had never been to New York City, and he wanted. We were thinking about um, going to a U.S. Open game and uh, or going to a match. We had a night game, so we 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 drove up and we were gonna maybe go to an early match and then come back. We didn't do that. We ended up driving around the World Trade Center, and I don't think it was open because he was. We, we could try and maybe see if he could go up to the. Um, that restaurant at the top of the world, I think they called it. Uh, so we did. We didn't do that, and then, um, and then a couple, you know, a, a week later, a week and a day later, uh, the, the towers came down in 9/11. So it was, it was just for surreal for me because I mean, literally, I had been there like the week before. But so, but to answer your question, uh, we were going to go out to Queens, and we didn't do that. It's both a great environment early in the tournament when you just 
kind of walk around the grounds, not even in the big show courts. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of drinking. There's yeah. good food. It's very fun. And then as it gets towards the end of the tournament, it's a very educated crowd. It's the largest uh arena in all of tennis so they can sit over 10,000 people so it gets loud and it's very exciting but the U.S. Open women's final with Serena Williams became such a big deal with the discussion about the points and the game that were docked from her by the official and I heard Tony Kornheiser say this, and you know how I feel about balls and strikes mm -hmm. in, in baseball. I, I don't understand why we need human beings to do that. Like, like w all of the calls can be made electronically. The yeah. ball is in or the ball is out. And a time delay, put up a freaking timer. The coaching of a player, either it's allowed and you can do it openly or it's not allowed and it should be docked every time. It can't be an unwritten rule. We finally in baseball have gotten rid of these ridiculous right. unwritten rules about, well, he didn't touch second base. He was in the area. Right. You either have a rule and you enforce it right. or you don't have a rule and you don't enforce it. What is the point of having human beings do jobs that technology can do better than them. Well, and the selective enforcement. Exactly. You know, I mean, it, it, it really marred what, you know, what could have been, um, you know, an even better event. It's, it's unfortunate because, you know, you're right. Baseball is one of the slowest to react to technology, right? Uh, but tennis, you know, uh, they went to, you know, the monitoring the court. Uh, but why can't you do that with everything? Well, in the NFL, why can't it electronically be figured out? Here's the placement of the ball. Yeah. It's first down. Exactly 10 yards is right, right here. And if you get to that line, the, there's a technological well, way of saying it's a first down. We have idiots pulling chains across a field. Well, well how about this, though? With, um, with the technology we have here at a AAA ballpark, we can monitor. Um, you know, They have the, the Statman stuff, so it's like they're right. monitoring how far the ball... Exactly. Why can't they do that in a football game so you know exactly where the ball should be lined up and whether it's a first down or not? I, I just I think we're underusing technology, and I'm not talking about replay, which I understand that people don't like because it's slow, and you're never sure what the, the status is. Should it be overturned? Should it not be overturned? I'm just talking about the things that, like a first down. There is right. a particular spot that is a first down. When the ball is placed on first down, technologically, we should be able to say exactly 10 right. yards is this spot, and it right. is or it isn't. So this is the equivalent of like back in the like uh, ancient times where you would uh, try to mark a measurement and you just kind of line exactly. up your eyes. And then all of a sudden, someone came up with a ruler. Exactly. And then not using the ruler. I, I, I don't get it. Let's get to the picks. Let's get to the picks. What do you like this week? Okay. The three secondary games, two of them already discussed. Yeah. Buffalo, if you can get more than a touchdown, plus seven and a half at home against the Chargers. I like to pick ugly teams, teams that didn't play well in week one. Now people are really, really, really down on, and I want to go against teams that maybe people are too high on. So Cincinnati tonight, yeah. Buffalo plus seven and a half. If you can get three and a three, I like yeah. Philadelphia minus three against Tampa. Tampa looked 
much better than anyone expected. Right. Philadelphia has the extra couple days to prepare because they played the Thursday opener. I like Philly a little bit. I like Buffalo a little bit. I like Cincinnati a little bit. Monday night football, I really like Seattle plus three and a hook. Yeah. It's the extra half point. If this game had been on the spread 10 days ago, before everyone saw Chicago look pretty darn good, mm-hmm. even though they lost to Aaron Rodgers yep, yep. in Green Bay, and before Seattle played kind of an uneven sort of opener, you would have said Seattle and Chicago in Chicago, I don't know, pick them, something like mm-hmm. that. Now you're not only getting a field goal, but that extra half point. Seattle plus three and a half at Chicago. You're giving me the more veteran experienced coaching staff, the more veteran experienced quarterback. Mm -hmm. I understand that Seattle has lost a lot of guys. I know that they're not the Seattle of several years ago. Who anointed Chicago? Mitch Trubisky had one pretty good game and more specifically one very good half of football. I'm going to need to see that repeated over and over again. Now, Am I excited about Patrick Mahomes? Did he look really, really Mm -hmm. good in his first game? Yes, he did. But he's not Dan Marino yet. Like, it needs to sink in a little bit. Right. We need more of a body of work. Right. So I'm 1-0 with Baltimore. Yes. The one game we're going to count this week is Seattle plus three and a half. Now, if at game time the spread goes down to three, I'm a pass on it. I'm not not playing it, but at three and a half, and you can get three and a half right now, right. Th- th- right. then I'm taking it. Right. So we're locking in at three and a half. Locking in at three and a half. Yeah. The other three games, Buffalo plus seven and a half, got to get the extra half. Philadelphia minus three, not three and a half. And Cincinnati, uh, a pick or, or minus half or plus a half, that doesn't matter tonight. But but those would be the four. I like Seattle, though. That, that That's the pick I want to be on the record for. Seattle plus three and a half is your Dave Friedman... Swiss Gourmet Apple Lock of the Week. That's right. That's right. Okay. And we, and I got the Swiss Gourmet right here. Why don't you try now it? I'm going to try it. Right? Let, let's see it. Oh, that's a nice sound. You can hear the crispness. Yeah. And what what are you experiencing? A very nice flavor. Sweet but not too sweet. Good texture in the apple. Good crunch. Um, went down smooth. It's good. One of the best apples you've ever had? He's going in for a second bite. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, the Swiss Gourmet yeah, Apple, Creaseman Farms, Hendersonville, North Carolina. It's the best. I love it. All right, you can get these, too, uh, if you want to come down to Henderson, North Carolina, or just ask Dave to pick some up for you, and he'd be happy to do that. I've got about 50 or 60 left. <laughs> All right. Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com is how you can join us, at Bearded Carcast on Twitter. He's Dave. I'm Mike. Thanks for listening to the Bearded Carcast.